We're going to talk today about selective sight, you know, choosing what we believe. You know, we've, you, you've all heard about, you know, selective blindness, you know, where you, you know, you just say, oh, I just don't see that. Well, this is, this is the same concept, uh, except this is instead of choosing what not to look at, you, you're choosing what you're going to look at. Um, choosing what we believe, or choosing what we look at. And I'm just going to go through a little bit. Previously, last week I, I did a bit of a rehash on a couple of previous week's messages, and I'm just going to touch on them again um, over the last few weeks. So I've been, been thinking about a few things. And um, we talked a little bit a few weeks back about false starts. You know, like you, you, you're going to go do something, and after you started, you realise, oh, that didn't work out how I expected. It was a false start. And, we, and there's many, many examples in life and in scriptures that we can pull from. And I use this one at, of Peter. At the time when Jesus was arrested, um, you know, I'm not going to preach the entire message again, but, but could you imagine what Peter must have thought? You know, in that particular scenario, at the time when Jesus was arrested, the soldiers coming along with their, their lanterns, armed, and they say, you know, Jesus says to them, you know, who are you looking for? You know, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says, I am he. And when Jesus says, I am he, they fall to the ground because of the wonder. And Peter's there observing and all that have gone on in the last three years of his life and thinking, oh, this is it. The time has come. And there must have been a mixture of expectations. And he pulls out his sword. He lops off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus says to him, you know, put it away. If you're going to live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. He heals the tribe. Peter thought something was going on. But then when you follow the story a little bit further down the track, it was on that very night, not very long later, and Peter denies knowing Christ three times. And then he went outside and wept bitterly. And he must have thought, oh no, it's all over. I have blown it big time. And you know, when the scriptures say that he wept bitterly, you know, if you could put yourself into his mind, I mean, you know, some of us can identify with things like that. You poured so much of your life into something and sacrificed so much it feels like it's all gone for nothing. And very, very, very powerful feelings. And, um, you know, for Peter, he was all in, and now he must have felt like he was all out. And so he, he went back, and he says, oh, I'm going to go fishing. You know, he'd seen Christ. He must have been really confused. But he's going back to what he knew. And in that moment, there's probably nothing wrong with, with that per se. But it would have been a, a very difficult time in Peter's life, you know, knowing what he knew and then knowing what he did and then having to live with that. And Peter was restored. That's the end of the story. Jesus came to him, says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And three times. Jesus did this. And Peter was restored. 
and um, it wasn't all for nothing. And Peter allowed himself to respond. So that was the takeaway lesson from that particular illustration or that example in the scriptures. And then we talked about expectations a little bit. You know, we can have expectations. We talked about Joseph. You think of Joseph as the, you know, that favourite son. And he didn't, he didn't make up his mind as a child to be born the favourite son. That was his father's doing. It was imposed upon him. He had no control over the fact that he was a favourite. And then all the consequences that that had in his relationship with his siblings, you know, he was obviously the favourite and everybody else knew it. And so, but, so this mixture in, in Joseph's head would have been, hmm, well, there must be something special about me, seeming that, you know, I'm the one with the robe with many colours and these guys don't. And then, on top of all that, the Lord gives him dreams. And it's like, oh, everybody's bound down to me. And so this, in a, in a young man's mind, no doubt would have wrestled with this, thinking, oh, okay. He would have had expectations. And what happens to him? You know, he's, he's thrown in a ditch. One of his brothers has mercy and sells him as a slave. You know, thrown in that well, I guess. It's not a ditch, it was a well. A big hole in the ground that he couldn't get out of. But he was sold as a slave into Egypt. And he was forgotten. He endured injustice and going through the entire story we can see that in his life he had expectations and at the end at the end of towards the end of the story with Joseph he had these two powerful feelings that were at work you know he had power as the second most powerful man in all of Egypt to utterly destroy those who betrayed him those who his brothers he could have annihilated them he could have lashed out in vengeance and that was a powerful feeling but he had this other powerful feeling you know of love though his family and he had a realization and in all this you know there's this big false start for him you're thinking whoa what is this all about this is not how i expected it to turn out but in the end he chooses between two very powerful feelings and he chooses the way of love. And, um, and we thank God for that. And the takeaway from that part of the message was that Joseph lived honourably. And so from that, that first message I preached a little while ago, you know, the application was that, number one, you know, when we have a false start, and things that we do and we sacrifice and they don't work out how we expect, well, we need to allow ourselves to be restored. Because often we can have a tendency to just, you know, I'm guilty of this, you know, sucking my thumb, I'm a, I'm a, sunk, a thumb sucker, and others are dummy spitters, I'm definitely a, a thumb sucker. Sit in the corner, suck my thumb. Um, but Joseph lived honourably. Now, of course, there would be many, many examples in scriptures that we could use to illustrate these and other, other things with regard to false starts. And the next week I talked a little bit about Jonah. This is a little different tack. He, he had a false start, but it was for a very different reason. God gave him an instruction. He didn't like the instruction, and he ran the complete opposite direction. And 
you know, we then made an application as to ourselves, you know, you know, why do we, you know, run the wrong way? Why do we do it? And we said, well, we do it deliberately. It's not an accident. We don't just, sometimes we even trick ourselves into thinking, oh, I found here, I got here by myself. No, 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 you chose, we chose to go there deliberately. If we're going in the wrong direction, the vast majority of the time, this is not absolutely true, but the vast majority of the time, if we're going in the wrong direction, we know we're going in the wrong direction. We choose to do it, and we choose it deliberately. And it's obvious. It's obvious to us, but it's obvious to others. It's especially obvious to us. Of course it's obvious to the Lord, but for those who know us and love us, it's obvious, and their heart aches for us. And of course, God being God, he wants a genuine love and a genuine relationship, so he's not going to force your hand, otherwise it wouldn't be real love. Forced love is not real love. He, he invites. And so we, when we run the wrong way, we do, do so proudly because we're wise in our own eyes. Um, we often have fear involved. You know, we... Sometimes things in life are really scary. And to face them is, is scary. And so we avoid it. Um, but the uncomfortable truth remains that if that thing is in our life, well, it'll stay in our life until you face it, whether it's scary or not. That's the uncomfortable truth. Um, now thankfully, you know, another whole message, the Lord is with us and he gives us grace. You know, one thing I believe absolutely is when the Lord brings you something to your attention, this is a little aside, if the Lord brings something to your attention, if the Holy Spirit comes along and puts his finger on some spot and says, Ah, it's time. See that? That means there's grace. There's power from God to deal with it. You're not alone in that thing. Because he's, he's enabled you to see it. Um, very often the way we run away, we, well, we run away privately. Often we withdraw. Depending on, and we, some people withdraw privately, some people withdraw publicly. You know, you, one of the places where you can hide the best is in a crowd. I'll just be like everybody else, which is the next one. You know, we conform to, to you know, social participation. Just be like everybody else. Go with, the, go with the flow. Or privately withdraw, self-medicate, do whatever it might be. You know, whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever, all the different types of addictions that... that mm. Very, very interesting. And we do the switch. You know, we play one part in one crowd and then play another. You know, all of these things are ways of running away. And we, we do them all. And in the end, it, what we're doing is we're, we're avoiding something and we're abdicating our responsibility in that thing. And so, of course, when you, um, when you follow the, the end of that particular story with Jonah, you, he ends up in the belly of a big fish um, and when you read that passage in Jonah, uh, it, it comes up with these answers. These are the things that he saw. He saw the vanity of his own ways. He saw those who, who run away from the Lord, those who pursue other gods, as that being a vain pursuit. It produces nothing. It's vain. And he humbled himself, and there was thanksgiving. It's quite astounding that, that Thanksgiving right there is, was in the, in the core 
of one of the things that, that changed Jonah's heart. And the Lord heard his prayer and the fish spewed him up on the beach. And then he went about doing what God said. Um, yeah, and the, the, the story of Jonah is an interesting story. It, it illustrates the, the stubbornness of the human heart in, in a quite unique way. That even, even when you're doing what God wants, you can still be stubborn. You can still be reluctant. And, um, and the only one that hurts is yourself, your experience. But that's another message. I'm going to talk about how we see. Because remember, we're talking here about selective seeing. It's not selective blindness, selective seeing. How we see. Now this here, the little picture I put up there, I borrowed it from, from somewhere. You can't see it on the screen. This is from streetlampgames.com. But anyway, just a little image. And you can see that's a street light. And old mate sitting down there by himself under the, the light of the street light. It's all dark all around. And what that image is, is meant to illustrate is that quite often this is, well, this is how we, we, we are in ourselves is that the only thing that we can see is things that we've had exposure to. We ourselves, uh, you know, we can't really see out beyond the perimeter of, of our experiences. And, and that's it. And so we, and if, if you take, you know, sort of, even though you can't, you know, God is our source of light and, and he, he leads us and guides us. But if, if this is our existence, then, then what we see is entirely dependent upon what we believe. It's entirely dependent upon what we've been exposed to. And, and so that's just the natural state of things. And the thing is that we, in our natural state, without Christ, we have a fallen state. And so not only is it we're dependent upon what we're exposed to, but we also have this, this sinful nature that we're born into. So that affects the way we interpret the things that we see. And now, this is another picture of, well, again, there's a street lamp, but this time there's a series of street lamps you can see in a row going down the street. Now... When you are under the street lamp, you can be seen. And if you, say if you're reading a book, you're walking down the street, you'd be able to read the book, and then you get out of the influence of that light, and you wouldn't be able to read the book. And you keep walking, oh, you can read the book again. And that's one way of looking at it, you know, sometimes as you're walking in life, you'll have periods of light and periods of not quite so much light, and then, oh, back into light again. Um, but, now, use your imagination with me. Just imagine, and this is actually true for all of us, you are the one that gets to decide where you put the light. So you get to decide what bit of the road you're going to see and what bit you don't want to look at. And we have to admit it, but we are all like this. And when you see those folk down the street, you can barely see them. Like they, I'm not sure if they're in the light or just before the light or past the light. 
But this is the nature of how we see things in life, is that, is that when we, and we do, we choose to look at this, and we choose to look at this, and we choose to look at this, and very often we know something's there, but we'll go, oh, I'm not going to put a lot on that because I don't want to look at it. It's called selective seeing. And it hurts us. It would be the why. It would be why. God's word is a lamp to our feet. And that is why the Bible talks about that. It's another part of the scriptures where I, you know, another little aside is that Jesus said, Jesus said, my blood is real drink and my flesh is real food. You drink of me, eat of me, and you'll live. And there's many at that time said, oh, this is a hard teaching. And many went away. And the whole idea of what Jesus was saying was not to literally eat his flesh and drink his blood. No, it means that we're meant to become a part, take it all in, not just cherry-pick the bits we like. And selective seeing is cherry-picking the bits that we want to look at. And we all do it. And it hurts us. You know... It affects the way that we see things around us. And non-Christian people do it. Christian people do it. They'll get their, their little lamp and they'll put it in a spot where they can look at something the way they want to see it. And when something doesn't support their particular view on things, starts to challenge them, well, they'll shift the lamp. And we all do it. And it hurts us. You know, I could take... The problem with this type of message is it goes in a thousand directions. In our culture right now, we see this particular thing. You know, with, say, pick cancel culture as one little example. It's a it's a, you know, they, they look at things that happened in the past and they really did happen and many of them were really, really bad and they think, oh, we're going to fix it by just not looking at it. Just say it didn't exist. Well, duh, it happened. And we're actually meant to learn from it and it's far more valuable to leave it there as a lesson instead of despising it because if we cancel that, well, then we might cancel some other people. It doesn't work. The best way, God's way, is to look at it and have the light of Christ shine on it and go, what's the truth? And how does that affect me and what in my heart needs to change? Yield it before the Lord and like Jonah, see what's vain Humble one's heart and see what you can be grateful for. You know? The way we see others, you know, very often 
if we're standing up over here in one light and down there there's somebody else, we, well, we'll only see them if they're actually underneath the light. As soon as they move over into the shadow, because of perspective, we wouldn't see them. If we got up close and we, we ourselves got in a closer proximity to them, we would be able to see them. But the clearest way to see them is if they're in the light. Like those people down the street there, they're, you can't see them very clearly. But if they were on the other side of the light, where the light was shining against their backs, we'd see them more clearly. It's just the physics of light. The way we see things and the way we choose and where we choose to position our lamp, it affects how we see others. Which means, of course, it affects our relationships. It affects community. It affects the unity of the body of Christ. This brings into, into the whole teaching of what Christ talks about with one body and the eye can't say you know, to the ear, you don't belong, or the hand to the foot. The only reason why this illustration is in the scriptures is because human beings have this tendency to say, oh, I'm not going to see you. And this Holy Communion we just had before, it says that anyone who eats and drinks without properly discerning the body of Christ, that word discerning, it means like you take, you take it, you know, like you've got a cup of grains, they're all wheat, and you tip them out onto a, onto a mirror and you sort them out and you go, ah, oh, yes. Yes, I see that's, that is a kernel of wheat. Oh, that's another kernel of wheat. You're actually looking and you're seeing Christ in one another and you, and, and you value them. And you go, oh, oh, but even though this one I see has error, oh, but there's still Christ there. And Christ is the most important, so they belong. And if, if you're not willing to look at somebody in some other part of the body of Christ and see Christ and recognise Christ, then the Bible says then you're sinning against the body. And you're eating and drinking judgement on yourself and on the other person. Because if you're not recognising, that means that you're putting thoughts and judgments against that person and the enemy loves it when Christians do that. Can you see that? Wouldn't the devil? The devil just loves it when a Christian has an attitude against another Christian and starts speaking loose words. He loves it because he can use those words from Christian people, bring them as accusations into the heavenly realms. And of course, this is a perfect little illustration if we go to the future. You know, you're looking down. We, we often... We often don't go somewhere in the future because we don't want to look that way. And so, brings us to this little play on words, to see or not to see? That is the question. And it is the question. You know, it's the question. So, a few little things. We'll go through this fairly quickly. So, if we are not seeing something... It doesn't mean that it's not there. Now, we often play these silly games, you know, of la 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 la, you know, fingers in our ears, making noise, don't tell me, don't show me, don't know. Or like the, the young child who's learning, you know, they peekaboo. When they're really, really young, if you put something, you know, it's like that they think, oh, you can't see me because I can't see you. No, 
It's not true. When you, when you actually grow up and understand that just because you put your hands over your eyes, it doesn't make the world go away. It's the you know, ostrich with the head in the sand type scenario. It's not real. And, and we know that it's not real. So stuff's, stuff's there. Now, sometimes, sometimes things do pop up where we are genuinely unaware. You know, in, in, there's many illustrations one could use to, to describe this type of scenario. And, you know, say you're, you're walking through the bush and you hear a rustle, and you didn't know. You just hear something, but all the stuff that's going on in your mind, you're learning before, you think, that rustle in the grass, just here beside me. I'm not talking about a man named Russell, I'm talking about, could be a lizard. Could be a mouse. It may be a snake. And what do you do? I know what I do if I hear a rustle. I've been walking in the bush a lot and I know I can sort of pick up the difference between a lizard, a mouse and a snake. They sound different. They do. But that's only because of familiarity. It's only because I've spent the time to actually... It's not perfect. You know, sometimes Sometimes I'll run along and I'll kick a stick and it makes a rustle in the grass over there. It scares me like crazy and it's not anything to be worried about at all. Sometimes we come across things that we're genuinely unaware about and it's actually all of the background stuff where we've looked, what we've learnt of that informs us of how we're going to react. And of course, you know, from a Christian point of view, we want to have the mind of Christ. We want to have the Word of God written on our heart so that when we come across things that we're genuinely unaware about, then we'll know how to respond. If you're walking through the bush out in the Carnarvon Ranges, like Carnarvon Gorge, there's some very, very big cliffs. Thankfully there, usually the tree line's a bit back from the cliff, but you're walking, walk it steeper and steeper and steeper and then <gasps> straight down. And so it helps to have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of caution, and it's the Scriptures walking with the Lord and walking with one another. That, that actually, this is all pre-existing. Even though we're unaware of something, that which we put into our life beforehand can protect us. And of course, the ultimate protection is Christ, and Christ is wisdom. Sometimes we know something is there, but we don't know what it is. You know, I talked about that before with regard to you know, hearing something in the grass. But this affects us in our life. Now, we need to actually use this more internally. Sometimes in our relationship with others, you know, our relationship with our family, our relationship in the church, we can have something and think, oh, why? Why, why am I responding like that? Or why am I not responding? Why am I standoffish? Whatever, whatever the behaviour might be, there, there'll be a reason for it. You know, that goes beyond just temperament. There's a, a wonderful illustration that, that a guy that we used to listen to a lot, a lot named Jack Frost, he talked about, you know, the orphan heart, Many years ago, we used to listen to him a lot. He had this illustration 
you know, you're talking about the, the goings-on in the human heart. Is, and the illustration was this. He says, if you're sitting down you know, on the veranda and somebody, you know, you've got your legs stretched out, you're enjoying the view, and somebody walks along and without any malice, whether they didn't see you, they, they, they kick you. Just accidentally, you know, they must have been trying to enjoy the view and walk at the same time. They kick you on the side of the ankle. Hurt. And you go, oh, and they go, you know, sorry. You go, oh, ow, oh, oh, you're forgiven. You know, no, no hard feelings, just one of those things. And they, it's just passed. And then the next day, you're sitting there doing exactly the same thing, sitting there, you know, having your cup of tea, looking at the view. Same guy walks along, what do you do? Well, you pull your leg in. Now, there's, there's no issue. It's not like as if you blame him, but you pull your leg in. You remove yourself from danger. This is a human behaviour, and it's because something was lost. Jack Frost says you lost basic trust. And for all of us, in one way or another, we have lost basic trust because we've all been hurt by others, by circumstance, by life. It's another whole message, but it affects us. And my message today is, is these things affect what we choose to look at. Sometimes looking at something that causes us pain or going into something, you know, if you change the, the idea of looking, it could be just putting yourself in a place where you're in the proximity of someone or something. That causes you to see. It causes you to feel things because you're close. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, then what do we often do? We often withdraw. We choose not to look at it. We shift our lampstand somewhere else and we'll look at something else. Thank you very much. That's what we say. We do it to ourselves. We do it to others. So often we have a, a good idea of what we are seeing, but we refuse to look. This is a progression of what I was just talking about. You know, sometimes, especially for Christian people, but, but this is a human tendency. It's not only Christian people. You know exactly what is going on, or you've got a good idea of what is going on, but I'm not going to look at it. It's a little bit like the small child, you know, with the splinter. You know, they'd rather, you know, mum comes along, I'm going to take it out. No, no, I'd rather have the splinter. Why? Because approaching it, dealing with it, causes problems. And, you know, sometimes a splinter will deal with itself if it's very minor. Often that's the case. It'll just the body will just spit it out. It's not a not a big deal. Other times, it needs to be dealt with because it's a something that goes deeper. It's a bigger injury, and it can cause infection and bigger problems. But if it's a small child you're dealing with, they'll want you to leave it alone. Pretty much every time. I've never in all of my children, and I've had six of them, and when they've had splinters that you couldn't just ignore. Some, some splinters you can ignore. It's just a little bit under the skin. Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll fall out in a day or two. But other ones, they go deep. And you think, oh, that's, that, that could end up bad. And so you want to deal with it properly. 
I've never ever had a child come to me and say, oh yeah, could you please take this splinter out? I've had to insist. And so it's normal human behaviour to look the other way, to refuse to look at things that cause us pain. This is selective seeing. We believe our own lies. Now this is a positive one. Sometimes we see and we take heed. And this is, for this to actually occur requires two things. It requires us to, to believe something that is, that is good and it requires maturity because if, you, if there's no maturity, there are probably a few other things you could tack on, but, but a small child won't, doesn't do this type of thing. But after a while, you mature and you recognise the future, you know, short-term, mid-term, long-term consequences, and you, this requires maturity to actually shift one's thinking from right now to what could this be? And this is where the Lord wants us. He wants us to be mature. He wants us to see and to take heed. And this brings us back, of course, to the gospel. A very quick aside. The Lord Jesus Christ was that seed that was sent from the Father. A seed. This is a repeated theme in Scripture. And one of the things that Peter talked about this in his sermon after the gate beautiful, you know, when that man, the leper, not the leper, the lame man, yeah, it's a lame man who went walking and leaping and praising God when he was healed. You know, his story says, God sent Jesus Christ the seed to bless you that your hearts would turn away from wickedness. It's a blessing. It requires maturity to be able to see. It's a grace gift but it requires something of, of God to then be able to go and look at the wickedness of your own heart and go, that is wickedness. And go, Lord, please, please help me turn from this and actually turn from it. To take heed, to respond to a blessing. And so the obvious thing is, you know, in all of this is we see in all of these ways. You know, some of us could go through that list of things that I've put, put up there. You know, sometimes we, we pretend as if something's not there. Sometimes we are genuinely unaware and things pop up. Very often we know something's there but we don't know what it is. We often have a good idea of what we're seeing but we don't want to look at it. Occasionally we take heed. And so the application, you know, you know, which one do we tend towards? Because all of those behaviours, you know, we'll tend towards one. One will be the, the predominant. And this is not an exhaustive list of behaviours, but and out of that little list above there, we would, we would want to be one who tends towards most of the time that when we see something, we take heed. And what that means is that 
we will go, oh, that's an issue. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Um, what is this? Oh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I recognise that's in me and I would like to fix that because that will, that will not only harm me but it will harm others. And it's sin. And that is where the Lord would have us want to tend. And the journey of getting to that spot. And so that is a question we should ask ourselves, you know, which one, which one do I tend towards of those? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's the heed one. Unfortunately, it's also sometimes a lot this one. We often have a good idea of what we're seeing, but we refuse to look. Because the, that, do you know there's actually a really painful place to be in that? You know, often having a good idea of seeing. We know we, we've got a good idea of what we're seeing, but we refuse to look. That, that's, that's a hard place to live a Christian life. Because the Christian life is really hard to do halfway. It's an absolute pleasure to do all in, but Christianity is difficult half-hearted because, because you have a divide in your heart and you give the enemy a handle on one side of your heart and then you've got this thing that you know and you're absolutely convinced of that is Jesus loves you and he's beautiful and you get live in this state of tension your entire life. It's a, no fun, honestly. It is no fun. I know, I've did it for years. It's no, no fun at all to so love the Lord and be so convinced in his wonder and his beauty and his truth and his power, but at the same time, allow the enemy this grip on your heart because you refuse to look at something. No fun. You stretch yourself out. Really affects ones. And I'm up to 40 minutes already. Let's quickly read this. And we'll finish straight after this. This is a little passage. It comes out of Amos chapter 3, verse, verses 3 to 8. It says, this is a prophet talking to, to Israel. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to me? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from its den if it has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, but who cannot prophesy? Amos here is declaring something about what God was intending to do. And he was ad addressing this thing that is very much embedded in the human heart, is that why did this happen to me? And there's a cause. And it's not because God is vengeful or hateful and likes hurting people. 
is that when we as human beings refuse to look at something, refuse to obey, and we do it for long enough, it has a consequence. This is poetic language that the prophet is using to, to illustrate a point. You know, a, a spring or a, a, a sprung trap doesn't spring itself. Something springs the trap. You know, a, a bird isn't caught in a snare unless there's a snare there. And in our lives, we have things that are there that the Lord wants to show us, but if we refuse to look at them, they're still there. And because they're still there, they have a consequence. It produces an outcome. And so we thank God for his mercy. So why we choose our seeing because of pain, of course, physical and emotional pain. Because of culture, family, religious. Yeah, religious is more than you think. You know, most people put the, the whole thing of religion into, into oh, that's, that's the, the church, Christianity, or, or some other, you know, religion. But no, somebody goes to the pub and sits on the same bar stool and they do so every time. It's a habit. So I thought they believe that's religion. Religion is, is, is patterns of feet, belief structures that form patterns in your life. We are all inherently rigid, religious. Human beings are inherently religious. Culture, habits come under that same category. And, um, but also faith. This brings us back full circle you know, to what we were talking about at the start. You know, faith affects our our seeing. You know, so we were talking about pointless sacrifices and unmet expectations. If, if you haven't allowed yourself to be restored and you're not living honourably, it's going to affect what you see and what you want to see. So, of course, faith very much. What do you believe? Hope. You know, this is this whole thing where we say, well, but look what happened. Look what happened to me. Yes. Yes, it happened. But the human tendency is, look what happened, and I just think I'll look away. I'm not going to go there. It's too hard. And the truth is, it is too hard. It's really, really hard if you want to go there by yourself. That's why we need one another. That's why we need the Lord. It's, it's really, really hard by yourself. We're not meant to live our life by ourselves. And then you have this last, this love. And love, love affects things the most. And this is the, this is the, the bit that bites. Is that, is that when you pour yourself into something and it's actually real, it's love, and it doesn't work out, you get that scenario where you sacrifice and it doesn't work out where you have expectations and it doesn't work out, and because you love, it hurts like hell. It hurts a lot. Because it was real. So it's real pain. And love affects, affects the most. 
You know, and reminds us, of course, of that scripture. It says, you know, here in Corinthians 13, verse 12, it says, Now we see in the mirror dimly. Notice that word see. We do see, but we only see dimly. But then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. And of these three, the greatest of these is love. Now, what the devil wants, what the devil wants is for us to believe that Jesus is the cause or the source of the hurt. If he can do that, it's like, ooh, what will, he, what, what will that achieve? If the devil can get you to believe that Jesus is the source of hurt, well, it means you won't put your lampstand there. It means you won't want to look there. It means you'll run away from there. That's a terrible, terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. And so, here is the point that we must come to. You know, Christ as the source of hope, not Christ as the source of hurt. And those two sort of nuances, although they're not subtle differences, they're, they're polar opposites. But those two modes of thought are like, two, like a watershed, like one mode of thought on one side of a hill ends up in a completely different location to the drop of water on the other side of the hill. In Australia, it could be as far removed as, as air in South Australia, down near Adelaide, opposite sides of a continent. Such is the difference in outcome of how we choose to see things. And the big thing about our own hearts is that and the enemy wants us to see ourselves and see Jesus in the wrong light. If he can seed some little lie, you know, you just won't want to look there. And that's exactly what the devil wants. But the thing is that there's many ways that we're meant to look at Christ. Yes, in his word, sometimes we'll put the word away. In fellowship, sometimes fellowship triggers. And so we put fellowship away and then we're alone. But Christ is also in us. When we believe, the Lord Jesus Christ has He's in us. And the devil even wants you to stop looking at Christ in you. And he wants you to go, well, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. You are flawed. You are broken. It, you know, I had a little season in my life where it was like, well, you know, in terms of theology, well, it can't be God's fault because he's perfect. Well, then it must be mine. Well, yes, it was mine, but, but I went through that whole self-disqualification thing. And that was never the Lord's intent. God doesn't want you to beat yourself up to try and fix yourself because that never, ever can work because Jesus is not the source of hurt. And the only way, if I try and provide a solution to my own things, I just build walls between me and God and between me and others. And so do we all our own solutions, our own ways. So it's coming to the Lord in humility. 
Daring to believe that the coming to Christ is a source of hope. And it comes back to that little pattern that we saw, we see in many places in Scripture. Recognising that something is vain, it's fleshly, it's not going to work. Humbling yourself and being grateful for where you are in the journey, that the Lord actually has this blessing. That's at the very, very foundation. If you were to dig down into in, the levels of, hum, of Christian faith, right down at the very, very bottom of all the things that we must have, and it doesn't come from us, it comes from God in the first instance. He has blessed us with his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants us to respond to that blessing. He wants us to see him. And so we'll pray. Father, Lord, I ask that your peace would be upon each and every heart. And Lord, you give to us grace to respond to the Lord Jesus. And Lord, that the things that we choose to look at would not be controlled by our own hurt and corruptible will. But rather we would Lord, find a way in you to respond to the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, to see, to truly see. And Lord, you are our, our God who lights the way. You have caused us and call us to be light. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak. Lord, that you would Lord, put your finger upon things that we need to look at. And I thank you for the grace, the blessing that you provide so that our hearts can turn. Lord, our hearts need to turn. So, Father, I thank you for that grace. So now just quietly in your own heart, if you want to, if you want personal prayer, that will, of course, be available. But even now, just receive from the Lord. The Lord has provided a blessing. And above all else, I give myself to you, Lord Jesus. Give Jesus yourself. Father, thank you. Amen. Many blessings.